Hello and welcome to Science Unscripted. It's Connor here. And Gib. We received a lot of your emails over the summer. Thank you very much for those. We are now going to respond to just two of them. That's all we have time for. Mm -hmm. And they relate to our last episode. Uh, Gabe, you want to begin? Yeah, this is from Dave. I am a long-time listener. Found you guys during COVID and I'm now addicted. That's, that's great, David. <laughs> yeah, hope, well, hope you're doing okay addiction's with addiction. not, not wonderful, but in this case, we like it. <laughs> I haven't written before, but the scrotum episodes seem to have missed one area of discussion from my perspective. This, this real quick, for anyone who missed last week's show... It was scrotum aesthetics, a small, very small German study on whether or not a scrotum can be beautiful. And if you're going to have plastic surgery to try to make it more beautiful, what, what does that even mean? That and was then we topic. talked about other forms of plastic surgery, and that's what he's writing about here. So he says, the surgery discussion didn't differentiate from more typical cosmetic treatments. Most people get these in and on areas that are commonly apparent. Most people get these in and on areas that are commonly apparent to others. Nose jobs, boob jobs, or orthodontistry are more overtly targeted at most people in everyday interactions, like making ourselves more attractive for dating. But few, very few everyday people will see a scrotum and would not tend to be an attractiveness feature unless the circumstances led to some sort of sexual encounter. The point being... That seems like a lot of trouble for this type of infrequent interaction, unless you are a gigolo or prostitute <laughs> or porn star relative to traditional cosmetic procedures. Keep up the good work, Dave. Uh, you're right. I would hope or uh, you'd have to be living in a strange place for the sight of a scrotum to be a daily or multiple times per day experience. Doesn't happen too often. Yeah. And yet that has not stopped people from having surgery down there right for years. Yeah. Whether it's enhancement, enlargement that's yeah. been going on. And more to your point, David, you're also right. There isn't or I couldn't find studies on what are in Germany are called intimate plastic surgeries, intimate cosmetic surgeries. We found studies on cosmetic surgeries on other parts of your body, not that. If they're out there, let me know. Send them our way, su at dw.com. I'd love to read them, but I couldn't find them when we were talking about it last week. Data out of the U.S., I believe, said a very small percentage of all plastic surgeries are in this intimate area. Right. But oh, how do they sorry. feel afterwards? That we don't know. We don't know. know. Yeah, that we don't, know. Yeah, we don't know. Got another email, this one from Sandra. She said, well, your topic last night certainly got my attention at 3.30 a.m. Thought you might be interested in this article. Some of the comments are quite funny. So she linked us to, this is from Barstool Sports. They do some kind of, you know, some, some fun, funny, sometimes nasty stuff. Mm -hmm. And the article was called, Women Share Their Thoughts About Men's Balls, Men's Testicles. Okay. Uh, and I think that there were 17 comments left here. I'll read a couple of them. One fits right in, I never think of testicles, right? That's kind of what we're saying, or the scrotum. Yeah. Uh, this is Tish. She's 27. When I'm not having sex, I never think of them. When I am having sex, I try not to think about them. <laughs> now that you, you've asked this, it marks the first time I've ever thought about them while not having sex. I hate you. <laughs> that's what she's saying to yeah. the to the people who asked well, that question. Well, that's what we said, too. Uh, go on. Just go no, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. Well, that's what we almost literally said, too, in the broadcast. So I, I, I don't think about that. Why? What? Why yeah. am I thinking about it now? Yeah, why should I have to be thinking about this? Another comment, uh, when they're too dangly and too wrinkly and too hairy, it really looks like a seasonally depressed woolly mammoth. I like them clean shaven and tiny. Seriously, I'd be fine if they were the size, shape, and texture of cherry pits. This was from, uh, oh, I forgot, I don't know her name. Anyway, a lot of young women writing in, writing in. some were saying, look, they're kind of like armpits. They're there, but you don't, and they're not beautiful or ugly. They're, they're, they're just there. You ignore them. Mm. Um, Tanya22 said, all genitals are ugly. 
male, female, they both look like a crime scene. Sex feels great, though, so long as the lights are out. And the last one, and this was kind of informative. I think a lot of people really don't know this. This was uh, Natasha, 31, and she said, after the deed, sometimes, you know, he falls asleep and she's still awake, and she's noticed that his testicles move. And she says, did you know that? Uh, yes, they move in reaction to changes in temperature to keep the sperm at the right temp level. So they'll kind of slowly move up and down. I've uh, yeah, I was going to, where? Where do they move to? Uh, she, well, hold on real quick. She compares them to a lava lamp. Anyone who's seen a, a lava oh. lamp moving in? And this is, this is true. And a lot of people don't know it or haven't noticed it. Even men, uh, I think you have to lay down in a warm room and be bored to notice that kind of thing. This you is, also need a weird mirror to be able to see. No, no, you can see it. You can definitely see it. This is the cremaster or cremaster muscle, which is the same one that pulls everything in if you're very cold to warm them up, to keep them at that magic 34 Celsius or 93 Fahrenheit mm -hmm. temperature, which is optimal for sperm. And yeah. so, yes, they move around as your body adjusts where they should be to keep that optimal temperature. The more you know. All right. What else you got? Uh, I think you got something on... Well, I don't even know what you're about to tell me. This is Winger. Winger, they were a great heavy metal band in the late 80s, early 90s. And now they've written a new album. Mm -hmm. uh, and this song right here is called Tears of Blood. And it has relevance to a scientific study that's come out of Italy that is looking at um, the historical inspiration for Count Dracula. How is this connected? No, Vlad, heavy metal, Vlad, that was 1990s? The song is called Tears of Blood. Vlad the Impaler. Oh. Vlad Draculia. You know, um, there was a novel written about him at the end of the 19th century by Bram Stoker. And one of the things that he's known for, you know, not just drinking blood and living forever and being the Lord of the Rats, was that he, he cried tears of blood. Mm-hmm. Right? These researchers have analyzed letters that he wrote in the 15th century, in 1457-1475, and it appears the man suffered from hemolacria, the condition where you cry blood, where there's p blood in your tears. So, hold on. The character from which Dracula, or off of which Dracula was based, yeah. Vlad the Impaler? He killed tens of thousands of people uh, in a way, you know, he impaled them on stakes. And he was horrible to his people. He was the prince of Wallachia, southern Romania. Was a horrible man and, and was the inspiration for Dracula. Dracula was a, was a very dark, bloody figure. But, sure. You know, <laughs> those bloody tears, that's one of the things that is even today written about. Winger, I mean, they haven't written a song in how long? They're talking about tears of blood. The man actually, Vlad the Impaler, Dracula cried tears of blood. And how did they establish that fact? In the letters, it's yeah. clear that he... Wait, he was writing the letters? Who was writing the letters? Yeah, okay. So they found proteins on the letters. And the way they did that was... It's just unbelievable. They're using something called ethyl vinyl acetate, which is the foam that's actually in, you know, Crocs, that soft rubber Oh, yeah. Foam. A very thin layer of that foam. You can place it onto the letter and take the proteins off there, mm -hmm. analyze them using mass spectrometry... Right? So breaking the proteins down to peptides. And then they looked at the oldest ones. So there were 1,000, 2,000 of these peptides on there. They were looking the one, at the ones that were the well, oldest. Well, the oldest would have been when it was written. Would have been when it was written. And they were, the, the letters were written by Vlad the Impaler. 
So those must have been his peptides. And what it they were 31 of them that they analyzed that were peptides that were you only like a, an eye disease, a retinal disease. Uh, there were some blood proteins, means he had respiratory problems. He probably suffered from pink eye. And from what they said, also this hemolacria, meaning that he was maybe crying blood onto these letters that he was writing. So this would have led, in part, in addition to the other massacres and crimes, to the popular perception that there was something not just slightly wrong with this person, but he was possibly a mythical the monster. Son of, the son of the devil. That's what Draculia means. The son of the devil. The son of the devil. So yeah. a, a genetic uh, a genetic defect. Yeah, it was, is, it's, is, a, it's a medical condition. Yeah, you, you could, It can happen because of injury. It can happen because maybe he had a tumor near his eye. Or maybe he had a really bad case of pink eye mm -hmm. and was just crying blood. Interesting. Okay. What do you got? Um, I have a piece of music for you that was entirely created via the electrical signals from a brain, or in this case, 29 brains. We're going to start off by seeing if you can identify the song. I don't, I don't know this song. Should I know this song? I think you probably know it. You may not have recognized it, but no, you probably know it. No, I don't recognize it. any of it. Okay, let's go, and let's go to the original then, the original clip that yeah. they played for the participants in yeah. this research. Pink Floyd, Brick in the Wall. So that's the original. We'll go back to the recreated via brain signals. And let's see if you can hear it. Yeah. Is that crazy? Yeah. You can hear it once. You can... The harmony, yeah. You can definitely place that as the song or as the clip that it was, that yeah. it was Pink Floyd. Yeah. So, uh, wow. This immediately reminded me of an experiment we've talked about lots of times on this show, Gabe, where you ended up in an fMRI machine and where in that experiment people looked at pictures of faces and just through the movement of the blood inside their brain, computers could recreate the images of people's faces mm -hmm. to an unbelievable degree, really accurate. Mm -hmm. So my first thought was that's probably how they did this with an fMRI watching the blood move around and they recreated sound. No, this one was different. This was the U uh, University of California, Berkeley. Here they had 29 patients who were about to go into surgery for uh, things related to epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And they had electrodes on their brain, not on the outside, not like an EKG, on their actual brain. And that was the point at which they heard that clip. And for years, for more than a decade, researchers have been in possession of the electrical signals you know, that came out. And did they contain pitch? That was exactly what this was about. Yeah. So based on the frequency of the electrode, you can see a pitch? Yes. Or hear a pitch, I guess? Out of that noise, because there are a lot of neurons firing yeah. when anything happens, when you're stimulated. Mm -hmm. Out of the noise of those neuron neuronal firings, and with the help of algorithms, software, researchers at UC Berkeley were able to recreate the song from the data. And that was exactly... When you say pitch... That was exactly the point of this. And those were 29 different brains all, what, put on top of each other? There wasn't just one particular one that sounded good? It was all 29 mashed together and that's what came out? Yes. 
Wow. If I've if I've understood the the study correctly and I've read through it and they have they have different versions of the data, linear, nonlinear, they do all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the what's interesting about this is that it is tone, it's pitch. It's something they call prosody and emotional content. One of the researchers involved, he said, look, this whole field of brain-machine interfaces, as it progresses, it gives you a way to add musicality to future brain implants for people who need it. That might sound rather abstract. Mm. Like, what? Who? who? Who needs this? Except just, well, very close by in the same week, uh, research came out. This time it was the University of California, San Francisco, published in Nature. And it was a woman who was paralyzed at the age of 30, mostly paralyzed, severely paralyzed as a result of a stroke. And this was back in 2005. And they did kind of the same thing. She has an implant in this case with electrodes reading the neuronal signals in her brain. And these are able uh, to, via a cable that comes out of her head, connect to an algorithm that takes her thoughts and translates them into sentences, which is really amazing for the last... I don't know, 17 years, she's only been able to say ooh and ah. So straight up reading thoughts. And in the in this audio, were, were these people listening to another brick in the wall? Yes. So they were listening to it. Okay. They were listening it was, to it. It wasn't that they were thinking about the melody. No, they okay. were played the clip and then they recreated it. Mm-hmm. So how is it connected to this woman, you know, who has an implant yeah. and whose, whose thoughts are, are generated as text? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do with those thoughts, that text? How should it be read? Typically, you have this almost Stephen Hawking like voice, just reading it, computer robotery, yeah. that has progressed and gotten better and better. And I think they did a good job there. They took, they created an avatar on screen and synthesized her voice, which was from a wedding way back when, and the speech that she gave, and they tried to recreate her voice that way so that whatever words were be, being read would actually sound like her. Did it work? Uh, I didn't have a chance to listen to that clip. I don't know whether she's satisfied with it or not, but the other way of going about it, if you don't have that clip, if you don't know how they ever sounded, yeah. would be to add musicality or prosody pitch yeah. pitch by being able to read the electric signals in that way because you know prior to i don't know within the last couple of years we haven't been able to do that you could get thoughts you could get individual words sometimes very very slowly and all of this is speeding up and in addition to that they're getting better at reading your thoughts in connection with how you would actually modulate what you're saying reading the music within your brain yeah, in a way, because yeah. imagine even in this great scenario where this avatar is using her synthesized voice, it will probably not emphasize the words in the way that she's actually thinking or yeah. imagining it. Yeah. That'd be kind of frustrating. I mean, first yeah. of all, you're, you're thrilled that you can even speak. Yeah. But if you wanted to emphasize the word stop and instead it emphasize the word don't. Well, that's where when it, it's another brick in the wall. It had the right rhythm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could hear that. Yeah. And so I guess these aren't directly connected these two pieces of research, except that they're very geographically close, coincidentally came out at about the same time, but they're they're both headed toward the same place, which mm-hmm. is reading the electric signals of your brain, translating that not only into thought, but into something that sounds like you. And how far are we away from being able to have that happen and possibly also to have that happen with people who are fully healthy? That was exactly and- the question on our minds when we were in Nijmegen, when we watched people have their brains read, the image inside their head put right in front of them. And yeah, it's happening now with text and sound. Yeah. And again, the difference, the huge, significant difference, fMRI machines are everywhere. You don't need surgery. They're non-invasive. Gabe, you fell asleep. It was so relaxing. I want to go back in. And here we're talking about 
having things that are connected to the surface of your brain. That's a very invasive procedure. Of course, in the initial study, epilepsy. In the second case, it was a woman who had had a stroke. So there are cases where that absolutely makes sense, but it's not for the general public yet. But yeah, fascinating research that I can. it feels like in the future is going to help a whole lot of people in ways I probably can't even imagine. All right, Connor. Good to be back. Good to have you. Yeah. If you have any other emails, questions, thoughts, things we should talk about, su at dw.com. 